Welcome to Sierra Week Conversations, a new video and podcast series bringing you insights with impact into energy, economics, and a changing world in the COVID-19 era. I'm your host, Dan Jurgen. Hello, everybody. Welcome to a new Sierra Week Conversation. The topic today is innovating for carbon-free power. This Sierra Week Conversation is presented to you by IHS Market. I'm really delighted and honored to have two great guests for this conversation. Joining us for all the way from UAE, from Abu Dhabi, is His Excellency Mohammed Al-Hamadi, who is the Chief Executive Officer for the Emirates Nuclear Energy Corporation. We will hear from Mr. Al-Hamadi about what is happening in, in, in the UAE around the development of nuclear energy, but a lot more than that. And then joining me, from closer to home here in the U.S. is uh, Ralph Izzo, Dr. Ralph Izzo, who is the uh, Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of the Public Service Enterprise Group, uh, PSEG, based in New Jersey, uh, one of the large utilities on the East Coast. Uh, and also Ralph is the Chair of the Nuclear Energy Institute, NEI. So welcome, Mohammed. Thank you, Atul, and uh, thank you, Ralph. You know, I'm, I'm really honored to be here, and uh, hopefully the session will be uh, very informative for uh, for our audience. Just to talk about the Nuclear Energy Corporation. It's an entity uh, established almost 10 years ago, responsible to uh, build and also operate the nuclear power plants here in the UAE. And that's the mandate uh, we have, and uh, we are, you know, uh, we are on the right track to achieve our goal of uh, first operation of the first unit uh, very soon. Great, and uh, we look forward to hearing that news. And Ralph, you are actually an operating company providing electricity to thousands of customers. So tell us about PSCG. Uh, thank you, Atul, for the invitation. It's good to be here with you as well, Mohammed. It's a public service enterprise group, which uh, we fondly refer to as PSEG. Serves about 2 million electric customers and a little bit more than that, and a little bit under 2 million gas customers in New Jersey. Uh, we are the largest utility in New Jersey and one of the 10 largest in the U.S. We also have a, about a 10,000 megawatt merchant generation fleet, of which 60% of its output is nuclear, and about 30% is natural gas, and the remainder is a combination of uh, solar and some, some diminishing coal. Uh, but we've been in existence for over a century, and uh, we are meeting the challenges of COVID-19 on a regular basis. So let me stay with you, Ralph. And so can you just say a little bit about how, you know, we are kind of about almost five months now into this COVID world. Uh, how has uh, PSEG done? How have we managed through the crisis? Well, well first, first of all, so I would be remiss if I didn't thank everyone who has played a role in being on the front lines and providing healthcare services for COVID-19 and extending my condolences to anyone who's been affected by this horrible, horrible virus. Uh, we've had to adjust our work rules. Some challenges have been more pronounced than others. Uh, about half of our workforce is able to work from home. That's gone very smoothly. The other half of the workforce, whether it's in a nuclear power plant during a refueling outage, or whether it's on a storm restoration job. We've had to practice social distancing. We've had to use masks in all of our operations. We've had to do contact tracing whenever someone has come down with the virus. We've tried to spread out our times that we have people reporting for work. And we've tried to concentrate the work that we put people in. So that I'm always working with the same gang, the same team, 
but it's not without its challenges for our operations. And if you want, we can also talk about its challenges that it presents financially, because those are sizable as well. Yeah, so let's let's come back to that in a minute. Uh, so, so Mohammed, you know, you are of course constructing a large uh, nuclear plant. So how has it gone for you in the last few months? So if I can take you back in the early days, five months ago, when this virus started spreading here in the UAE, we did take it very seriously. Immediately, we did uh, the lockdown and quarantining of people uh, at Baraka, the construction site and the operation of the, the power plant preparation site. We did put around six thousand people. Uh, in, a, in a quarantine for almost 14 days. We did send back almost 100% of our staff at HQ for, uh, to, to make sure that nobody is, is, is COVID positive. Then gradually we'll be meet, we were meeting almost on a daily basis to make sure that there is no uh, positive cases in our premises, specifically in the power plant. So we managed to gradually uh, get the business back on track, specifically in HQ. But at the power plant side, we did not stop the work. That's something which has continued for the operational readiness, specifically critical around the control room and the preparation to start the power plant. If I, if I may, uh, to just give a quick uh, high level, you know, 50,000 feet on, on, this, on this virus, I don't think in our history of 100 years, we, we encounter something similar as big as this. It was very fast when it came to coming as a crisis at Black Swan. Myself, I remember the early days of, the, of this crisis. I was almost every day uh, thinking about what's going to happen to our people, to our business, and how we will overcome such challenge. We didn't know how, how deep is this problem, how big is this, this problem at the early days of this uh, pandemic. So today, We've managed to contain that, and thanks to our leadership of our government, the UAE here, took this took, took the virus very, very seriously, and that's why we have low spread of the virus. And uh, and also in the power plant, we did take it very seriously. And um, I'm, Ralph, I'm sure we had some other incident where you nuclear guys, nuclear experts, they are very conservative, and they always take extra steps abnormally, you know, to conserve that culture and to show that culture and maturity of the nuclear culture. So we have the same thing in Barak. I'm very proud of that level of maturity of our team to be able to take things in a very systematic approach and implement a system to keep the work environment safe. And and uh, you know, after maybe Ralph talk about it, I will talk also about our how we implemented the new norm in our premises and, and access to site. So, so, so Ralph, I want to come back to you just staying on for the COVID for one more minute. You know, the pattern of consumption, how power was consumed has changed. So can you say a little bit about that? And also, how is it impacting your financial performance? Yes, so, so, so you're right. The, the, the pattern has changed. We've seen a sizable decline in commercial load and a sizable increase in residential load. The decline is greater than the increase uh, Makes sense, obviously, because you just have facilities that are closing down. But on a net net, what you would expect this time of year, probably a little over 10%. So, uh, from the point of view of, of, of the income statement, it's not a huge impact because the residential customer is a higher margin customer. What's really showing up in a painful way is the payment patterns of customers. Our receivables are double what they would normally be at this time, and uh, we are under. A, uh, a, a pretty much a voluntary a 
agreement to not shut customers off who are unable to pay. So we're seeing that payables uh, uh, really uh, starting to skyrocket on, on the part of customers who are just out of work, as Mohammed said, and, and unable uh, to, to pay all their bills. So, so that's the primary impact we're seeing, not so much from an income statement point of view, but from an accounts receivable point of view. So, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the longer term now and then, you know, what is the sense, uh, Mohammed, let me start with you. Is you think COVID has impacted the progress of, you know, moving decarbonization of power? How do you see from a kind of a high level? What we've seen also globally, you know, just uh, some countries when the lockdown started, their demand, electricity demand went down from 10 to 20 percent to 25 percent in certain countries for a couple of weeks. Then they picked up, as, as Ralph mentioned, you know, by the residential load. And uh, this is the, I think, the norm everywhere in the world where people now working from home and using more gadgets at home, air conditioning in our region at home. And this is been, uh, you know, the norm. I think I'd say it goes back, it goes down for a couple of weeks and when people back, take it back to their normal business, then it picks up. One thing, you know, we've not, I've noticed personally when it comes to the consumption, because what people working from home, the cloud computing, it's becoming much more, like as in a back one. And thanks to electrification, we can, with electricity, we, we, we managed to ride this crisis without any blackouts. Thanks to the grid operators uh, in the overall world who managed to uh, overcome this uh, challenge and provide us with a clean, sustainable, and secure electricity. Uh, one thing I've noticed uh, through the, from the, the you know, data being shared globally, that data centers and iCloud computing went up. And just to give you an example, today, one uh, cloud computing chip consumes around 200 watts an hour. That's equivalent to or similar size of consumption from the old tube TVs that uh, we had, you know, a long time ago. So that consumption expected, by the way, to rise around 15% of the world consumption by 2025 will be for cloud computing, for servers, and there's also the heat cooling. So that also will consume more energy. So to put things in, in perspective here, just to give you an example of my, actually my, my family at home, I've seen my kids using uh, gadgets for homeschooling and also I feel sorry for our router at home, always overheating because of the traffic that the kids are generating. But that's the norm now. That's something we have to live with and something will be there even beyond the, beyond the COVID-19. So how do we make that electricity cleaner and, uh, and you know, more reliable? That's something I would like to uh, talk about also maybe a bit down in this uh, discussion, but it is critical. So providing a base load, providing cleaner source of electricity is very critical for our uh, future and for our uh, grandchildren. Uh, uh, Ralph, maybe come, come back to you. You know, you have some uh, ambitious targets on reducing emissions. Uh, so uh, can you talk a little bit about those targets for the 2040, 2050, and then uh, anything changed in the last few months uh, uh, relative to those targets? So the targets you speak of are to reduce our emissions from our power plants uh, by 80% by 2046 and 100% by 2050. Uh, we have been long-term believers in the significance of climate change. We embraced the early uh, President Clinton initiatives to reduce CO2 emissions. 
In fact, our emissions are down 43% from where they were just 10 years ago. And, uh, and our emission intensity is about half of the U.S. average. That's largely because of our nuclear fleet. We have one remaining coal plant that has a capacity factor of about 2 or 3%, and it will be shut down permanently next June. So we will be completely out of coal. And our average heat rate on our gas fleet is about 7,000 BTUs per kilowatt hour, so it's very efficient. Uh, we've put forth a five-part proposal to diminish carbon emissions. Uh, number one is we are advocates of a price on carbon. We think that a clear economic signal will allow the market to um, optimize carbon reduction technology selection. Uh, number two, we're firm believers in energy efficiency. We've asked our state regulator to give us the permission to invest $2.5 billion in various energy efficiency measures. Number three, we think that preservation of existing nuclear plants is essential. Uh, in New Jersey, over 40% of the power comes from nuclear and 90% of the carbon-free power is nuclear. Number four is investment in renewables, and uh, that includes solar and wind, where it makes sense, and the price of carbon would dictate that. And lastly, to basically electrify the economy, beginning with transportation. In the U.S., uh, as you know, it's all, uh, transportation is the number one source of carbon dioxide emissions now uh, overcoming the power sector. It's been that way in New Jersey for decades because of our nuclear fleet. So those, those five uh, actions we think would help the entire nation reduce its CO2 emissions. And we're doing our part by basically uh, making sure that we retire coal, use only very efficient natural gas, but we'll eventually retire those gas plants and preserving our nuclear fleet while we invest in energy efficiency. So I'll come back to you. You've covered a lot of ground there. So I'll come back to uh, unpick some of that. But let me ask you, Mohammed, and your vision similarly. And of course, UAE, your, your nuclear plant is going to contribute in a big way uh, to decarbonize power within the UAE. So give us kind of the local picture and then overall, you know, your vision. So, like you know, uh, to complement actually our opening strategy, that's uh, that's very resonates. You know what what we are doing here also in the UAE. You know, we are targeting uh, to diversify our portfolio of energy. We've been dependent on uh, fossil fuel, mainly gas, which is a cleaner than other sources of, of fossil fuel and definitely cleaner than uh, than coal. <clears throat> so the strategy of the UAE is to focus on uh, diversification of energy with a carbon emission-free uh, mix of portfolio. So we started evaluating all the options and we, you know, we've, we've installed renewable energy and specifically uh, photovoltaic, and we, are, we have, we have a couple of gigawatts now already installed. We will be installing about 80% in the, in the region for the last 10 years here in, uh, in the UAE. We're also looking at uh, gas plants, but the major transformational change, I would say, to our energy mix will be the nuclear. So once we have the four units operational, that will provide us around 25% of our electricity Mix for the UAE, that's around 5.6 gigawatt. That will avoid, emit, avoid emitting around 21 million tons of CO2 emissions. And as Rob mentioned, transportation is key. And we've just to do, to do the connectness with transportation, uh, four units will avoid us emitting, as I said, 20, 21 million tons of CO2 emissions. That's equivalent to around 3.2 million cars off the road on an annual basis. We have around, roughly around 3 million cars here in the UAE that energy transportation will, will just be kind of uh, eliminated. And that should be a dramatic change for the energy mix of the UAE by the nuclear power plants. 
The current system we have right now has been built 30 or 40 years ago. And whatever we invest today will be there for the next uh, 30 to 40 years to come. So that's why we need to adapt with the current technologies we have. And very specific element here I would like to elaborate on is energy density when it comes to energy mix. Just to look at fossil fuel today, the fossil fuel when it comes to diesel and North talked about the, the heat rate of, 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 of gas plants, the heat rate, you're talking about you know, 14,000 watts per kilogram for, uh, for the diesel, which is you know, could be a diesel or gas or gas fuel. If you look at the nuclear, it's around 360 watts per kilogram, very dense when it comes to energy. If you look at the photovoltaic, it's around, you know, it, it roughly between around 150 to 100 watts per, uh, per kilogram. So it gives you a very little energy per square foot or per square meter. So that's why nuclear is a, a major source of a base load. And that's what you need for the current systems we have, the current transmission and distribution network we have today is designed all around base loads. And that's why it is critical to invest in that and be realistic in, in, in our approach to invest in that, but also take advantage of the future of the technological development could be from renewable and also from energy storage that I would like to talk about uh, later in my conversation here. So let's let's spend a few minutes on nuclear power because you know we've uh, I've talked to both both of you uh, before in in the sense that there, there is you know some in some quarters including you know environmental uh, quarters opposition to nuclear power so how would you respond to that you know costs are very high it's, you know disposal of nuclear waste so there there are a number of issues uh, around the the viability longer term viability of nuclear power so so Raf, why not start with you you know you have a pretty large portfolio you said it's going to be part of the mix so how do you address those those concerns so first of all, the, the disposal problem, which is a real problem, is not a technical problem. It's a, it's a political problem. Other nations have successfully dealt with their waste. Uh, the new, United States has a viable site in Yucca Mountain. It's, it's uh, from an engineering and a scientific point of view. It's not viable, evidently, from a political point of view. So I, I empathize with the opponents to say, well, until we overcome that issue, be it overcome the political opposition or the technical opposition, uh, we have to think twice about long-term investment. That's that's fair. I mean, you can't, I don't think a proliferation of waste around 100 plus sites in the United States is a viable long-term solution. Uh, in terms of environmental groups that oppose nuclear, I think that they're decreasing. You see a lot of folks now with uh, sophisticated scientific background, Union of Concerned Scientists, Environmental Defense Fund, NRDC, all realizing that without nuclear, we can't hit our targets. In fact, the Rocky Mountain Institute recently completed a study for the state of New Jersey, and it ran, I think, 10 or 12 different scenarios about New Jersey achieving its carbon-free target by 2050. And without exception, the, uh, ex the inclusion of nuclear was the only way to achieve those targets and not do significant economic harm uh, to the state. So I think nuclear is an important tool, uh, an important baseload tool in achieving our carbon free objectives for, for, uh, for a variety of reasons. And then, and then I'll just conclude by saying, if you, if you look at what different uh, technologies New Jersey, for example, has invested in, uh, other than energy efficiency, nuclear is by far the cheapest in terms of cost of uh, CO ton, CO2 per ton avoided. 
terms of emissions by far. So for all those reasons, I think people will come around to realizing that nuclear is an essential part of the toolkit. Not everyone, but, but more will. So, so, so Mohammed, you know, uh, people will ask similar questions, but maybe slightly differently to you. Well, you know, in UAE, you have lots of sun, you have lots of oil, uh, and uh, you can get out of the gas um, locally. So why do nuclear? How can you tell us the thinking behind that? And, and, you know, it started not today. It started many years ago. So when climate change was still kind of ebbing, you know, it wasn't such a big deal. Specifically, you know, in 2006, we did a very comprehensive study to look at the availability of gas for the next six years, the energy sources we have available for us to, to diversify just away from uh, not just to be dependent solely on fossil fuel, specifically gas, or, or even we never burn the crude, but we don't even burn the crude to make electricity. We'd rather sell it uh, in the international market. There's a better use for fossil for the crude oil than burning it for uh, making electricity. And we came to the same conclusion that uh, Ralph mentioned. You know, we saw the viability of nuclear power plants. They've been operating over 40 years, reliably safely, and generating abundance of energy, electricity for uh, for nations. You know, looking at the U.S. fleet today is one of the highly performing fleets in the world, provide very cheap, very economical uh, cost base, uh, and the roughly number is around 22 cents or even less per per kilowatt hour. And that's very economical. I look for the future where our power plants will operate for the next 20 to 30 years, and they operate for 60 years. And I look forward to that day when we uh, have that uh, cheaper kilowatt hour from those power plants. That's one. Second, to to provide this load uh, to electricity, either have hydro uh, energy, kinetic energy in hydro plants, that will be the equivalent maybe Apple to, Apple to, new, to nuclear, and that can run from 24-7. Unfortunately, in the UAE, we don't have that much of water here in the UAE, so to be able to generate uh, a base load in a reliable and safe and secure manner, nuclear came as a very clear option for us, mm-hmm. and when you add that uh, environmentally free, or friendly, and, and uh, without any, almost no zero emissions, Nuclear, you know, check the box uh, without any thinking when it comes to technical viability and also commercial viability. Today, our four units we have been constructing for the last 10 years today, they are on schedule, they are on budget, and we are very competitive uh, compared to other sources of energy. So that's why I'm, I'm very proud and very uh, confidently, I could say, that we we made the right choice. And this choice will benefit the UAE for the uh, next 60 years. So my, you know, my, the, 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 today's uh, whole them of our working, their children and grandchildren will benefit from those power plants for decades to come. So Rob, let's come back to carbon price because, you know, that's a very important, uh, and you mentioned this uh, in a couple of different contexts. And, and my assessment would be that any kind of value on carbon, you know, whatever mechanism you like, hasn't been very successful so far. So, so why do you think that has happened after all that effort, at least in the U.S., you know, and, and more broadly as well? Uh, so, so uh, candidly, the efforts, I guess now, my goodness, probably 10 years ago, uh, followed quickly on the heels of the passage of the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. The relationship of those two, two words, political exhaustion. Uh, the Congress was so divided over the Affordable Care Act that what barely got through the House of Representatives in terms of cap and trade, which, by the way, was modeled after a very successful federal program to reduce acid rain gases, just did not have 
the uh, energy, if you will, to get through the Senate. And since that time, uh, the, the nation has turned away from its focus on climate change with the change in administration. So uh, the, the nation is anti-tax. It wants to see taxes reduced. But I, but to me, you should tax bad things and not tax good things. So wealth creation to me is a good thing. You could trade off taxing a bad thing like pollution in exchange for reducing a tax on a good thing like wealth creation. And there is increasingly a, an interest in talking about it, but I, I would agree with you at all that there is not an enthusiasm for embracing it that is of a scale that gives me confidence that anything will happen in the near future. And the result is you have absurd decisions being made by states on technology selection, that when you calculate the cost per ton of carbon being avoided, you get numbers that range from negative numbers, great decisions, to literally hundreds and hundreds of dollars per ton, when the National Academy has said that really the social cost of carbon is maybe 40 to $50. So really bad, inefficient use of the environmental dollar results from this lack of transparency. So uh, I would say though on the positive side, there is a lot of you know, at least the younger generation is now very focused on uh, on climate change, and that may do something. So, so Mohammed, you know, uh, from your point of view, living in the Middle East, which is uh, the hub of the global energy system, uh, how does a conversation about carbon price? Uh, how does it feel? And what do you think? And any other policies you would promote? Uh, you know, to decarbonize energy. We, the, uh, we uh, also a very detailed plans and you know, carbon sequestration and a lot of projects also been piloted to make sure that we reduce the carbon emissions. But I don't see anything as realistic, you know, that could be done other than, you know, kind of as, as Rob mentioned, you know, to put some tax on carbon uh, emissions. The UAE now, when, once we have those power plants operation at the four units, that will reduce our emissions dramatically and will change completely the energy mix and the footprint of the emissions for electricity, uh, for electricity, uh, you know, generation. Another thing also we are doing also the, uh, I would call them the megawatts, you know, that, you know, building codes, efficiency, reducing the consumption per capita. All those projects also have been implemented. Building material, you name it, changing even the ch change, change in culture and habits of people from energy consumption. I think, you know, I've been in this job for almost 10 years. I'm very proud to be in this job because I will create a dent in, 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 the, in the job I'm doing here. We have 3,000 people, by the way, in this uh, enterprise. Everybody excited about this power plants to be operational. Why? Because they know that they will create the, the, something that has never been done before here in the region uh, to build civil nuclear power plants that could operate as a new, source for, a new source of energy for the nation, but at the same time, a clean source of energy. That's something I can tell you if you ask anybody in this company, 3,000 people we have, they will tell you that how happy they are and how happy and proud they are and their mission. And that's something uh, very few people doing in the world. And I do sympathize, you know, with with the with, with Dr. Ralph and the politics that you know the energy mix in the U.S. because of the economics around the gas prices in the U.S. It's unfortunate, but you know, as 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 we say uh, here in the in the in the, in the only only the correct thing will prevail. Takes time, but need persistence and perseverance to get to the right thing. And here in the UAE, uh, we have a very conscious leadership. 
about the environment, very conscious when it comes to future planning for our children and grandchildren for, for decades to come. And we've made the right choices. Today, our energy portfolio, it's a very diversified and will change the footprint from a carbon emission point of view uh, for decades to come with renewable and nuclear. And you mentioned energy efficiency in, in that mix here. So, Ralph, I think we should spend a couple of minutes on that. I mean, you you, you had it as a, one of your uh, five uh, top five priorities. It seems to always get the backseat, you know, we'll do all of this stuff and then by magic energy efficiency will happen. So what do you think? I mean, what, what needs to happen really to get back on that you know, drive to significantly improve energy? And, and the U.S. is at, you know, at the forefront, the poster child in a way, being not very efficient. Right? You know, I beat my head against the wall asking that, trying to answer those questions at all. I, and, and the people who I ask it of say, well, it's just not glamorous. You know, I can't do a groundbreaking ceremony around the installation of a programmable thermostat. So it doesn't have a political cachet to it. And there's not a lot of money to be made. You know, a solar farm is far more capital invested than an LED light bulb. Uh, but yet energy efficiency is the one technology that clearly will allow us to reduce carbon and at the same time put more money in the pockets of consumers. There are a series of, of legitimate market reasons why consumers won't spend a dollar in that way, even though it makes economic sense to someone, such as a utility, whose cost of capital is far less and whose level of techn technological sophistication is far more than the average consumer. So that's that's the path we're on. Uh, fortunately, New Jersey is listening. We have a governor and Governor Phil Murphy who has uh, really embraced the climate change agenda. And I think that he and his regulators are very open to utility active participation in energy efficiency. If, if I may, you know, just to, to explain to the, to, to the audience here, you know, what the, uh, the, the megawatts, which is the non-built power plants, is much cheaper than building a power plant. So if you save energy, you don't need to build more power plants, and that saves environment and save also money. So to, to point to, to Dr. Roth's point, I would like to, you know, kind of complement his point. Just to give an example to the, to the, to the listeners here, one bulb light, the old congestion light, compared to the LED light, you save 95 plus percent of energy consumption. 95 percent is not being used, is not used. So no gas has been burned or no consumption has been uh, consumed. So that's a dramatic change of energy saving. Just to give an example of the UAE here, we took the decision, at, you know, at the government level, you know, looking at the, this is all based on the 2006 and 7 studies. We will not, we will not, never install in the street or the street lights other than LED lights. And that was enforced. So as of today, we don't have a single, all the lights we have in the country here now, it's LED. Was done over a program of 10 years, was programmed, approved, and was enrolled out. This means from street lights, we are saving 95% of energy. So that's a huge saving compared even to building nuclear power plants or building solar plants or building any other plants. So the saving of energy it, 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 with the current technologies, a breakthrough we have, need to be capitalized on in a very, very fast pace because these are realistic available solutions. There is no innovation. There is no uh, magic you have to do. It's just kind of a roll out a clear plans and implement it. And this is one simple thing, LED, LED light. Yeah. And I think you also make, both of you make a very important point. People seem to forget that energy efficiency doesn't mean you have to reduce the quality of your life. 
with LED lights are as good as the, the old style, uh, you know, incandescent lights. So, so just as an example, right? So I think this is the mindset, uh, as you say, is not it's not you know, exciting. We have to we have to change that mindset uh, into the future. So let me uh, just to kind of uh, conclude our conversation. A question to to both of you. You know, it's energy transition is the big topic. Uh, we we went through the whole. The period here, the interview without using the word energy transition, but energy transition is the buzzword. And I would like to hear from both of you, you know, how you see your vision and the role of electricity in this energy transition uh, in, in the coming coming decades, how important it could be. And of course, a carbon free electricity. So, Mohammed, why don't we start with you? Give us give us your thinking uh, on that. So. My answer, my answer will be two parts. Uh, at all. One of them, one of it is uh, we need to be real and realistic of what we can do. And the other part of it will be we need to innovate and create a new opportunities. So being realistic, we need to use the currently proven technologies that will reduce our carbon footprint and carbon emissions. And they are nuclear is a, a great source of a base load coupled with also renewable. But this is when I go to innovation now in my part of my answer, where we have to be able to break through in the electricity system. The electricity system today has been built for power plants that you switch to them on, and they operate for 24-7, and they provide electricity 24-7, nonstop for, you know, for a year plus as nuclear power plants. And that's the current design of the current systems we have, the transmission and distribution systems. Then we need to innovate on those systems so they can adopt and adapt to the intermittent power supplies with integration with the nuclear power plants, with the current technologies we have. So these innovations in transmission network, distribution network, automation, of those systems and using artificial intelligence and data and data to be able to make the system more efficient. There's a huge opportunities out there, but that won't happen overnight. That will happen with the clear policies and strategies, the very focused innovations in technology. And once we make a decision, we have to carry it through for the next 15 to 20 years. And that's something that the UE is doing in a very systematic approach. We are innovating our generation side. We are also working a lot in automation of our uh, transmission distribution system to be able to cater for a very dynamic and a very efficient system. The last thing I would like to uh, leave you with from an innovation point of view, which is, has a huge potential, and that's specifically when it comes to energy density and energy storage, is batteries. Today, the energy density of batteries is around, roughly, is around three, uh, 250. Uh, watts per, per kilogram, and that's the Tesla uh, grade of, of batteries. And that's very low from an energy density point of view. If you look at the future of energy storage when it comes to hydrogen, talking about 39,000 uh, watts per kilogram, and that's a huge opportunity, great opportunity. I look forward to making green hydrogen through nuclear power plants to be able to provide innovative sources of energy on the generation side. And as I said earlier, also looking forward to be part of the innovation and uh, automation of the grid system that will be able to cater for the dynamic of the of the generation systems. So, so being pragmatic but also innovative, you sort of combining 
pragmatism of what is possible today with more innovation in the future. And and also, Atul, we have to be realistic. We cannot. Yeah. We have to be. We have to capitalize on the kind of solutions we have. You know, the green uh, solutions and the clean solutions. Then we need to programmatically kind of plan for the future. We cannot go and build a system, electricity system, a grid completely based on intermittent power supply. It has to be done in a way that you cater for the base load. At the same time, you design your grid to cater for more of an intermittent capacity over time. But this is, we need very clear policies and strategies with uh, clear plans, a clear path that we have to go through to implement that. So, so thank you for that. Uh, so, Ralph, uh, what is your vision here for the for the future? You have big targets, big ambitions, I would say, um, but the vision to get there. We have a vision where in the future we are more efficient in our energy use. Mm-hmm. The supply that we have is cleaner, and the delivery system is more resilient than ever before. And as Mohammed said, technology is at the forefront of all of that. Data analysis at the customer end to help us understand usage patterns and what they use, when they use, and how they can change that. Material science at the production end so that we can get conversion efficiencies out of solar, uh, larger and more efficient wind turbines, advanced nuclear fuel cycles. So use less, pollute less, and be interrupted less is the three-part future that we see. Okay, well, thank you very much. I'm very hopeful and very optimistic and look forward to the future that we will be able to consume less when the, you know, with a more energy, with, with, with a more abundance of energy that will be able to power another innovative solutions and will make our life easier and better in a friendly manner. Yes, uh, thank you very much, um, uh, Muhammad Al-Hamadi, and thank you very much, Ralph Izzo. This was a terrific conversation. Thanks again for tuning in to another Sierra Week conversation presented by IHS Market. For the complete video series and previous episodes, visit us online at sierraweek.com.